0: on 1st Samuel. We'll be continuing that this morning. But then we'll take a break over Christmas. Uh, we do every year an Advent series. And because of the way the weeks line up, that starts next Sunday, even though it's still technically November. So be back here with us starting next Sunday for an Advent series. Uh, Dan's done a lot of work to put a great series together for us, so we're excited for that. So we'll do Advent series through uh, the end of December. Then we will... Uh, I think Zach will preach for us, which is what we, the Sunday after Christmas, Youth Pastor Sunday. We love to give that to the youth pastor. And then we'll be back in 1 Samuel. But uh, our last chapter before that break is chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles or you're uh, getting one from the pew, chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, it's on page 241. And we're going to be looking at that whole chapter. Now, last week, Pastor Dan walked us through chapter 17 which is one of the more famous stories in the Bible, the story of David and Goliath. And we had been introduced to David the chapter before that in chapter 16, when he was secretly anointed as the next king of Israel, but he didn't really speak in that chapter. Chapter 17 with David and Goliath is the first time that we had really been given a chance to see the character of David, to hear him speak. And so Dan showed us through David's first words that David was going to be a king who was absolutely passionate about God and God's kingdom. Dan said that David was aware more of, of more than what just his two eyes could see. He was aware of the spiritual reality of God's kingdom, even in the midst of this event with Goliath and the Philistines. He saw Goliath and the Philistines as a threat certainly to the people of Israel, but also to spiritually God's kingdom. So in David's first moments on the scene, he was immediately highlighted as this anointed king, this representative of God's kingdom that the Israelites and the audience reading us have to deal with. We have to respond to him. Because anytime there's a big personality a big presence a significant person that comes on the scene people respond right most people don't stay neutral about someone that's sort of that big now in our culture it might be a politician an athlete a movie star a musician people that are significant characters in our world and they elicit different kinds of response from people they're very polarizing think about our political figures The way that a political figure comes on the scene and opponents or supporters of that politician speak about them and their deficiencies or their achievements. The extremes in which they speak. Or think about our biggest athletes, right? If we ran into LeBron James, maybe I would give him a standing ovation. Dan would boo him relentlessly. So we have these polarizing figures, even movie stars or Musicians, think about some of the ways in which they're stalked by their fans or even that they receive death threats from fans, right? We have extreme responses to these big, significant figures in our culture. People either love them or they hate them. And that's what's gonna happen in chapter 18. We're gonna see as David comes on the scene, his significant presence, this king for God's people, how are the people going to respond to him and their response to him is important because their response to him is tied together with their response to God's kingdom right God's choice of a king has always been for the sake of his kingdom the two things are tied together so a king's faithfulness to God's kingdom is is tied together with the faithfulness of the people to that king that's why Saul failed Saul failed because instead of putting God's kingdom first, he put his own kingdom and his own role as the king first. So God removed him to protect the people, to protect the kingdom. But now we have David. We've just seen in chapter 17 what kind of king he's going to be. He's going to put he's going to be the kind of king that puts God's kingdom first. So what Is the people's response to him going to be? So let's turn to chapter 18. Again, page 241 on the Pew Bible, or if you have it on your phone or you brought your own Bible. I'm going to read the entire chapter for us, and then we'll talk about it. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 18. As soon as he, David, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry at this, this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands, and what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, "'Here's my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles.' For Saul thought, "'Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him.' And David said to Saul, "'Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king?' But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, I'm not going to try to pronounce that, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter, Michael, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spoke these words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged upon the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men, and killed two hundred of the Philistines, and David brought their foreskins which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michael, for a wife. And when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle. And as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. This is God's word. So remember, our big question this morning is how are people going to respond to God's king and God's kingdom because those two things are tied together as we read there's two very clear responses the response of Jonathan and the response of Saul we're going to take those in reverse order this morning we're going to look first at the response of Saul but we're going to call those two responses responses of cursing and responses of covenant let's look first at Saul and his response a response of cursing verse six that so they return from their victory over Goliath, it says when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women of the city see them coming. They're singing, dancing, and they sing this song. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And this is clearly hyperbole. David's just killed Goliath, and it's not like he's been killing thousands of Philistines at this point, but they're trying to praise them both, and this was just a way of doing that, but that's not how Saul hears this. Saul hears this, and he immediately recognizes that something is going on that he does not like. Up to this point, all he knows is that Samuel has warned him that God removed him from being king and was going to replace him with a neighbor, in other words, some fellow Israelite. But he doesn't know about Saul, excuse me, Samuel secretly anointing David. I doubt even at the moment that David killed Goliath that Saul suspected anything, right? I mean, David is a young, small shepherd boy from Bethlehem. It's not a real threat to the king of Israel from a human standpoint. But in this song... Saul's beginning to see that David's fame is growing. That the people love David. That's concerning to him. And he makes this statement in verse 8. He says, they've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And then he says this, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul's suddenly realizing right now that if David has the heart of the people then all that's left for him to have is the kingship over the people. And this is the moment where Saul begins to curse David in his heart. We know that because the next part says Saul eyed David from that day on. A better way to translate that word eyed right there would be that Saul watched David with blame or he watched him with jealousy. Saul's heart is now set against David. He's cursing David. And that's because, as we've seen all through these chapters, Saul is more concerned, again, with his own position and his own kingdom than with knowing what God's heart might be and what God what God's kingdom might look like. Now this could have been a moment of repentance for Saul. He knows that from Samuel, that he's lost the kingship. He knows that someone's going to rise up to replace him. So when he sees the rise of David, he could have said, you know what? I've sinned against God. I've messed up my kingship. I'm no longer fit to be the king and to lead his people. But this guy David is. And so if God's elevating David... This is my chance to turn back to God and to hand this kingdom over to David. Now, as incredibly difficult as that would have been, this was Saul's moment to do that. This was his moment for repentance because he sees who David is. But instead of turning to God, and trusting in God's anointed king, he chooses to curse God's anointed king in his heart and by implication he then curses and rejects God's kingdom and that's going to lead Saul down a path of destruction. Now we've been talking in the weekly Bible study on the prodigal son about paths of destruction and blessing. Now the prodigal son you don't know is a parable from Jesus we've been studying it on our weekly Bible study men and women's Bible study that's on Wednesday night so this will serve as a plug to come out to that when we resume in December but in that parable we see this type of path of destruction in action the prodigal son rich father wealthy kingdom so to speak family world that he lives in Decides instead of submitting his life to his father, he's going to go out on his own. He demands his portion of the wealth, his inheritance, his power, his own kingdom. And then he runs away with it on this path of destruction and he absolutely ruins his life. He wants all, here he wastes all this money. He finds himself poor, starving, working with pigs, eating the food the pigs have. And he's absolutely destroyed his life because he rejected his father's kingship, his father's kingdom. That's Saul. Now, because Saul is the human king, he doesn't end up poor, like working with pigs, like the prodigal son. But spiritually, they're on the same path. The difference is, when the prodigal son reaches the end of himself and realizes what he's done, he repents and he returns to his father. Saul doesn't do that. Saul in that moment doubles down and he continues down this path of destruction. And that path is going to lead to terrible results for Saul. We're going to look at three of them very quickly. The path of destruction for Saul that results from him cursing God's kingdom is going to lead to evil, abuse, and fear. Let's look at those three quickly. First, evil. Immediately after he curses David in his heart, it says in verse 10, a harmful spirit comes upon him. Now, another way to translate that is simply a spirit of evil came upon Saul. Because Saul's given himself over at this moment to accomplishing evil he immediately tries to murder David he takes this spear he throws it at him then he begins to try to plot and conspire to put David in positions in battle where he might be killed by the enemies because Saul has cursed God's king and God's kingdom in his heart he has opened himself up for this kind of spirit of evil to work in his life We see this sometimes. We look at people's lives and we see them commit terrible acts or crimes or whatever it might be and we wonder what path led them to this. It's this kind of path. This is the path of rejecting God's kingdom that leads to this kind of evil. Evil like conspiracy and murder. But it doesn't stop there for Saul. We also see this path of destruction leading to abuse. See, Saul had a lot of power. Saul's power was given to him to use for the sake of God's kingdom. For the sake of God's people, Saul turns that power against God's kingdom. He's the commander of the armies. Armies that are supposed to defend and care for God's people. And he instead abuses his power over the army to position David in a place where he might get killed. He abuses his own power as a father. He uses his daughters as bait to trap David. First he offers the older daughter to David. Then he realizes that the younger daughter loves David. So then he uses her. And he's trying to trap David into this contract where David has to serve him in the military and then he can lead to David being killed. So we see Saul's cursing of God's kingdom leading him down this path that produces evil and produces abuse. Abuse of power, abuse of his own children. And then it leads ultimately to fear. Three times, verses 12, 15, and 29, we're told that Saul fears David. So instead of seeing David for what he is, a blessing to God's kingdom, Saul sees him as a threat and he's afraid of him. Instead of seeing David's rise as an opportunity for repentance, Saul chooses to curse David, to curse God's kingdom, and this leads him to a fear of David and a fear of God. This is the type of fear that's produced when we go against God and his kingdom. Saul lives in constant fear now of God and his coming king, always looking over his shoulder, Always knowing that his position, his power, his identity, they're at risk constantly from something out there. So he reacts in murder and abuse and evil. We almost might pity Saul if we didn't know that he has brought all this on himself. But Saul's not the only person who's faced with a decision in our chapter. Saul curses God's king and God's kingdom, but someone else has at least as much to lose as Saul and responds differently. And that's Saul's son, Jonathan. I don't think we're told explicitly here that it's his son, but we know that from earlier when we met Jonathan in chapter 14. Several chapters ago, if you weren't here on that Sunday, Dan showed us how the passage raises up Jonathan as being the opposite of his father. Jonathan showed faith in God, trust in God's kingdom, a desire to pursue God's kingdom, while Saul didn't. Now, we don't know for sure, but it's, I would say, fairly apparent that David was or Jonathan was probably there watching when David killed Goliath. We know of a few verses in that David's, Jonathan's at least wearing his armor. So it's likely he was there and observed David killing Goliath. He would have seen David's zeal for God's people in God's kingdom and that zeal would have deeply resonated with Jonathan we know that because of his character in chapter 14 when he sees someone that's that committed to God's kingdom that would have resonated with us or with him so if we remember chapter 14 well when we saw that about Jonathan then the first verse wouldn't necessarily take us by surprise but at the same time should massively surprise us. Because Jonathan is even more threatened by David than Saul is. Why is that? Well, if you know anything about the ancient Near East, you know that typical royalty descended father to son. But this is the first king of Israel. That pattern of father son kingship isn't locked into place yet. Now, certainly the average person would have expected that to be what happens. But if a person, a usurper, someone who wanted to take the power, was going to do so, right after the first king, before his son comes into place, would be a very strategic time to do that. So there's an opportunity here between Saul and his son for someone else to step in. And so David, who's just won this incredible victory over Goliath and over the Philistines and now is rising in fame and clearly people are singing about him and loving him, he poses an enormous threat to Jonathan and his future kingship, right? Well, only if we're thinking in human terms. But it's very clear that Jonathan doesn't think that way jonathan is thinking as he has so far in samuel in terms of god's kingdom remember last week dan said that david saw more than what was just in front of his two eyes he saw a spiritual reality he saw god's kingdom at work that's the same kind of heart and person that jonathan is And so when Jonathan sees David's character, when he sees David's commitment to God's kingdom, he says, that's somebody like me. That's somebody that absolutely is committed to God's kingdom. And so verse 1 says that because he sees that, he has a deep love for David. In fact, it says he loves him as much as he loves himself. So while Saul sees David and curses him, this God-oriented, kingdom-oriented love that Jonathan has leads him to see David and covenant with him. Now, we talk about that word covenant a lot around here because it's a significant biblical word. At, a very, at the most basic level, a covenant was a binding promise. So because of this great love that Jonathan has for David, he makes a binding promise with him. Now, The text does not tell us exactly what that promise was. But I think the next verse gives us a clue to what it was. Jonathan immediately gives David his robe, his armor, his belt, his sword, and his bow. Now, those may feel like strange gifts to give someone for us, but they're not random gifts. If you've ever heard the saying, uh, the clothes make the man, that's what's happening here. Jonathan's robe and armor and weapons and clothing were an identity marker in that culture. When people would see him wearing those items, they would say, you see that guy over there? That's the crown prince. You can tell what he's wearing. And so to hand all those items over to David, I think points to one thing. And that is that Jonathan's covenant with David is to renounce the kingship to him. Now that's not explicit in the text. But it makes the most sense, following this covenant promise that he immediately gives him these items... And it makes the most sense of Jonathan's character. That Jonathan would see God's kingdom and he would see God's anointed king come to the forefront that he would immediately respond in this way. So unlike Saul, who chooses to curse God's kingdom, which leads him down a path of destruction, Jonathan responds by covenanting with God's king and kingdom, which leads him down a path of blessing. Saul's path of destruction produced evil, abuse, and fear in his life. Jonathan's path is going to produce love, laying down of power, and freedom. Let's look at each of those three things very quickly. First, notice in verse 1 that Jonathan's love for David comes as a result of something. Jonathan's love for David comes, it says, from his his heart was knit together with the heart of Jonathan. Now that word there, knit, is actually a passive. It's not Jonathan knitting his heart to David. It's Jonathan's heart was knit to David. Implication is there's someone else at work here. The audience is expected to understand that that's God at work. God has knit the heart of Jonathan to David. David something that's happened to Jonathan that then produces this supernatural love in Jonathan. Why? Because Jonathan is a man committed to God's kingdom. God knows that about Jonathan. He's seen that in Jonathan. Jonathan is absolutely committed to God's kingdom, so God knits his heart to his anointed one and that produces a supernatural love in Jonathan that leads him to respond the opposite Of the way that Saul responds. We also see the path of blessing leading to Jonathan laying down his power. This is a pretty simple one. Saul abuses his power. Jonathan gives over his authority, his position, his armor, his robe, his weapons to a potential rival. An incredible sacrifice, a dangerous sacrifice to hand over. All of that power to someone else. He's able to do that because this path of blessing has also given Jonathan amazing freedom. Imagine a freedom of identity and purpose that's so <clears throat> that's so free so significant in your heart that you can hand over an entire kingdom to somebody else. Because Jonathan is so absolutely committed to God's kingdom and God's king, he has complete freedom to lay down his power and give it to somebody else. He doesn't have to desperately hold on to his own identity as the crown prince. He doesn't have to desperately hold on to the kingdom like his father is trying to do. You remember when Saul grasped the cloak of Samuel when he told him he wasn't going to be the king anymore. David's free to submit himself to God's plans. Even when that means, by human standards, he becomes less than what he could have been. Now, it's easy this morning to hear this story of Saul and Jonathan and David and to think it doesn't really have much to do with us. We talked earlier about, you know, our our love or hate of politicians and movie stars and athletes. We can't imagine ever being faced with something this significant, though. Right? Global politics, kingdoms, kingships. We're not faced with those type of Seismic decisions. But I want us to see this morning that we actually are faced with things that significant. Because these decisions that Saul and Jonathan are making about David aren't just political decisions. They're decisions of the heart. Because God's kingdom is active in the world today. Today in the same way that it was active then. It's active in your life, in your heart, in the same way it was active in the hearts and lives of Jonathan and Saul. So daily decisions that you and I make, decisions to curse or covenant with God's kingdom are significant. Saul finds himself in this place not because he just woke up one day and decided to murder David. We've listened to chapter after chapter, decision after decision that Saul has made that has led him down this path of destruction. So he finds himself in this place of evil and abuse and fear, not because of one big decision, but because of decision after decision along the way. Decision after decision to curse God, to curse God's kingdom, and to choose his own way. So where are you tempted to be like Saul? Where are you daily tempted to make decisions to curse God's kingdom? Maybe it's the words you say, the actions you take. Maybe it's just deep, deep down in your heart and your mind where you make decisions to lust, or to hate, or to have greed or jealousy. Those little thoughts and actions that seem so small, that seem so insignificant and secret, that are moving you down a path of destruction. Now, if that's true, then what hope do we have? Because if you're like me, then you know that you struggle Every single day against those small thoughts and actions. And so I can get to a place where I feel like victory over them is impossible. Like I'm cursing God's kingdom every day. Well, the good news is that there's somebody greater than David who's come. God knit Jonathan's heart together with David. But as great as David was, he was still just a man. Imagine if God could knit our hearts together with someone greater than David. Well, that's where Jesus comes into the scene. Jesus is consistently called throughout the Bible, the greater David. He's both the human descendant of David, the rightful heir to the earthly kingdom, and he's God's son, the rightful heir to God's kingdom. Now imagine your heart being knit to someone like that. Imagine the kind of love and identity and freedom that would come from being knit together with someone like that. But we don't have to imagine. If you're here this morning and you have placed your faith in Jesus, then you are eternally knit together with him. You are eternally covenanted with him. God has knit your heart to his. And so even when you do fail, even when you do mess up, when you curse God's kingdom in your own heart, Jesus says you've been forgiven and restored. So instead of having to live in constant fear that you might be walking down this this path of destruction, looking over your shoulder for every wrong move you might make, instead of living that way, you're free to walk the path of blessing with Jesus because you are eternally knit to him. If you're here this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you're still figuring that out, Thank you so much for coming to hear what we have to say, for considering it. I hope this story would be a reminder and encouragement for you. Don't be like Saul. Don't continue to turn away from these opportunities, these chances to walk the path of blessing and covenant with God's anointed son, Jesus. This is your chance. This is your moment. To trust in him. To have your heart knit together eternally with him. Would you make that choice this morning? Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that we are eternally knit together with him. You've done that work in our hearts. We pray that we might then walk the path of blessing that you've laid out for us.